morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We got a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship together, church. Yes.
grab a seat. If we uh, have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate, and uh, we're just excited that you have chosen uh, to worship with us this morning. I really want to welcome you as well. If you're a guest, uh, first-time guest with us, we would love for you to take a moment and uh, find the connection card that is in the pew in front of you. Uh, That connection card is a great first step to getting connected here at Westgate. And uh, if you take a moment to fill that out at the close of our service, I'd encourage you to take it out to our main lobby and there at our guest center. Uh, If you would, you can drop that off, hand it off. There are some hosts that would love to answer questions you might have uh, about the church, but also uh, we have a small uh, gift bag that we would love to give you that has a couple of small gifts in it, but also uh, information about how to get connected here at Westgate. So please be sure to do that and stop by this morning. Also, as you came in, hopefully you grabbed your uh, sermon notes on the way in, and if you look inside of those, you'll see our Christmas at Westgate calendar, everything that is going on uh, here in the Christmas season from our services with Christmas Eve, regular services, and also uh, many special events. But we also want to tell you a little bit about those with a short video this morning. So go ahead and cast your eyes to the screen. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. My name is Julie and I am on the worship team here at Westgate. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. It's the holiday season and there are so many ways to get connected this Christmas. This year, we are once again partnering with that neighborhood church through Bless a Child. Bless a Child builds relationships with TNC's community by supporting the kids of the church with the gift of a toy and hats and gloves. You can get involved by selecting gifts to purchase for a specific age by donating hats and gloves or by purchasing wrapping paper and other wrapping supplies. Gifts can be dropped off at Westgate on Sunday, December 3rd or bring them to our Christmas on Wilford party on December 9th. This year's Blessed Child will look a little different than in the past years. So check out all the details at westgatechapel.org slash blessedchild or visit our table in the cafe. Help be a part of Blessed Child and share God's love with our neighbors this Christmas season. Join us at our annual Christmas on Wilford Christmas party for all ages on Saturday, December 9th from 5 to 8 p.m. Let's celebrate the true meaning of Christmas together. Our party includes live music, Seasons Eatings Cafe, a movie, spaces to reflect on Jesus, and our donation stations as we partner with Blessed Child at that neighborhood church. We'll also be collecting coats for international students and also food and toilet trees for a local food pantry. We have two shifts to serve that night, which means we'd love for you to serve a shift and then invite your neighbors to attend this awesome party with you. All the details can be found at westgatechapel.org slash Christmas on Wilford. One of the best ways to let friends and family know about upcoming events like Christmas on Wilford is through a personal invitation. Did you know you can share any of the Westgate events from the app to anyone? not just people who have the app. Sharing Westgate events with others is easy on the app. Simply tap on the event and right below the image, tap on share. This shares all the information about that event in whatever way you choose. You can select text, email, or social media. It's that easy. Who can you invite to be part of Christmas at Westgate? Thanks again for joining us. It's going to be a great morning of worshiping together. Enjoy the service. There you go, a lot going on at Christmas, but does anybody feel like we just skipped over Thanksgiving? 
I mean, come on, people. I mean, Thanksgiving this week. It's going to be a great week. We've got, uh, I know many of you probably have family or kids coming back in town for Thanksgiving. We're going to have an incredible feast. Lots of things to think about that we are thankful for, and uh, we're excited about that. But one of the things that I am also super excited about is this coming Sunday, uh, we're going to be having our traditional uh, Thanksgiving service together. We're going to be taking time uh, together, just remembering all the things that we have to be thankful for and that Christ has done in our lives in this past year. And we're going to be having a creative kind of interactive service together, but it's also going to be one of our Together Sundays. And this is where our kids ministry does not meet, but the kids come in here. We believe it's such an important part of their own spiritual growth and development to be a larger part of the body of Christ. And this is a great service for that. And so we're excited about it and hope that you will uh, be here next week to join us as we are uh, celebrate all the things that we're thankful for in Christ. With that being said, we want to continue in our worship this morning. Before we do, would you stand up and find somebody this morning that you have not said hello to yet and welcome them to our service.
what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you, we praise you This, this is what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you, we praise you
wants to break down walls this morning. Hey, y'all, I'm just, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that God is truly wanting to do something today in your lives, in all of our lives. As one body, mm. anyone else feeling that too this morning? Can I get an amen? Y'all are singing like it for sure. So, man, let me just pray for us. God, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are the one who breaks down walls. You break every chain, God. You are here in, in, our, in our presence, Lord. So, God, we, we stand here in your presence. God, we cling to you. And there are people here that I know are hurting today. There are people here that I know that are far from you. God, I firmly believe you want to draw all of us near to you, God, but especially those that have been holding back. May we cling to you. May we cling to you this morning, draw near to you.
take our offering this morning, I'd actually like to invite up uh, some good friends of ours, uh, Mike and Amy Whipple. If you know Mike and Amy, would you welcome them as they come and join us here on the platform? Uh, for those of you that don't know Mike and Amy, uh, they are longtime friends of Westgate Chapel, and uh, Mike used to serve here on staff a uh, number of years ago, uh, working in our adult ministries and uh, overseeing so much of our adult ministries, but also Mike was super... Um, instrumental in hiring me. And so you can either like him or not like him because of that. But uh, <laughs> but uh, we're excited. We have been able to partner with Mike and Amy since they left and uh, have been working with crew uh, on a national level uh, down in Florida. And so they wanted the opportunities. They were here this weekend to be able to just say thank you, but also share with you a little bit of what God uh, has been doing and is doing. And so I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys. That's, that's great, Rob. Thanks. I tell you what, it's been, it's just like a flood of memories, you know, that come back. I know for some of you, you don't know who we are and I'm, I apologize. <laughs> I mean, not because I'm so worthy to know, you know, but just, 
But anyway, we're, we're just so grateful. I just want to give a message to everyone here that has been a part of Westgate, especially for a while, and let you know how much we appreciate the support, uh, both in prayer and through the financial support that Westgate had given us over the years. Um, a lot of times we don't know when the offering plate goes by, you know, that where all of it goes. You might know about some of the uh, CNMA missions that's going on and those kinds of things. But I can tell you that this church has always been about wanting to reach out. It's always been about wanting to invest in the next generation of Christ followers. And uh, you're in a great place that way. And when you give, you're supporting people like us that are all over the world. And uh, I know we have some uh, crew staff that uh, live here in Toledo that are doing a great work at the University of Toledo. Amy and I used to give some leadership there long ago. We were here for about four years. And out of that whole four years, I think maybe the best decision I ever made was um, persuading Rob and Rochelle to leave sunny California <laughs> to come to Toledo, uh, Ohio. And uh, they've done, obviously, a great job here. So that's kind of Thanksgiving, right? I mean, we're kind of coming into that season. And uh, I just can't tell you just how thankful I am for the family that we felt that we had here. Also, too, though, the scriptures kind of paraphrase it, say, to let people know what God has been doing. And uh, it brings him glory because he's the one that's been doing it. And so just to share really briefly with you a couple of things. Um, God's allowed us in our ministry with crew down at the headquarters to help give some leadership that would help leverage uh, the, the organization of crew to try to come alongside churches and other denominations and Christian colleges and mission agencies to be able to hear what their mission and vision is and are there ways that we can help them. And over the last four or five years, we've partnered now with over 100 uh, different Christian organizations and mission agencies. Um, we've partnered with over 85 different Christian colleges where we mobilize their students in different parts of the world. One of the projects now actually that we're working on is mobilizing students uh, over spring break from Christian universities to be able to take part in a good deeds and a good news uh, kind of an arrangement for a mission trip uh, in um, the Caribbean area, Latin America. And uh, we, Amy and I went on and led a trip like that this past May, and uh, she can just share with you just one quick story. Um, because a lot of times we think about missions and about, it's about the people we're reaching, which it is, but a lot of times it's actually the people that go that get impacted as well. One of the things that we do, the, what he mentioned about the humanitarian side, what it is, is we do water filters. So we're going to places where they are getting water from rivers and other sources that just are not healthy for kids. And it's actually the number one killer for children under five years old is unsafe drinking water. So we take water filters and partner with churches locally, and then we share with them the living water as well. And because of that humanitarian aspect of the mission trips, students from all different kinds of spiritual journeys will join us because they think it's worthy to give a week to go and put water filters in people's lot, you know, into their homes. So we had a, a guy named Jaden who went with us last year. He was from Azusa Pacific, and he about three days into the trip, he said, "Hey, can I sit down with you too? I want to talk with you about my spiritual journey." Well, his story is this. When he was a baby, he was born into an addicted family, drug-addicted family. His, both his parents were, and his dad found his way into jail. 
and they end up being homeless. He shares about sleeping on the concrete floor and when and his mom had a bed above it. Um, and then um, his mom went to jail and he was in the foster care system. From there, his grandmother took him in and through his elementary years and junior high, but his sophomore year in college, I mean in high school, um, she passed away and he was left alone. And his football coach took him in to his home and he ended up getting a football scholarship to Azusa Pacific. So here he is at this Christian college playing football and he has made these friends and they invited him to go on this mission trip. So here he finds himself on this trip and, and God was doing a work in his heart. And at the very end of the, of the week, we kind of did this excursion out to the rainforest and back to this waterfall. When we were there, he said, I want to get baptized. It's time for me to jump in. And Jaden, when he left, he said, I have been truly born again. So it's just a beautiful thing how God works inside the hearts of those who choose to go. And then all these recipients of the love that's been given them through the water filters and telling them of the living water. It's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for being the hands, the feet, the senders to be able to make such a difference in communities, in children's lives, and in the churches as well. So we truly, from the bottom of our heart, thank you. And we want to connect with you. So when we're done here today, if you can just stop by and give us a hug, introduce yourself if we don't know you. So. Thank you. Yes. Thank them for coming and sharing. It has been uh, awesome to see how God has been using Mike and Amy. And, uh, you know, as Mike uh, said, what, you know, sometimes you don't recognize that whenever you are giving to Westgate, uh, one of the great blessings, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in that because it has enabled our church for years and years to be able to use those resources to take and to send people out into the mission field. And uh, we're excited in the next months, you're gonna see us sending uh, two other young couples out to serve the Lord all around the world. And it is through your support that enables that. And so thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord in that way. Uh, before we take our offering, I just wanna pray and let's offer this time to God. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I wanna thank you for Mike and Amy. I thank you, Lord, for just the uh, beautiful relationship that you've developed over the years between them and this church. And Lord, thank you for how you have been so faithful in their lives, the ways in which you have used them and their giftedness to make an impact in untold number of lives. And Father, uh, we pray that you would continue to put your hand of blessing on their ministry as they continue to reach college students and people all around the world with the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you've provided for us and provided for this church so that we can be a part of sending more people out. And this morning, as we give back of our offerings, Lord, we recognize everything that we have comes from you. And so thank you, God, for allowing us the opportunity to steward your resources and to use them in such a way, Lord, that our prayer would be you would multiply them so that more people would know your son. So we continue now in our worship, Father, through giving, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, are on one of the center aisles, you can grab the offering buckets and begin to pass those out. And we'll just continue in a spirit of worship uh, as we collect our offering.
As we uh, jump into our message this morning, hopefully on the way in, again, you were able to grab your sermon notes. If you have those, you can pull them out and uh, follow along this morning. As you'll see, we have been in a series uh, for about five weeks together, and we'll be wrapping it up this morning. Uh, that series has been titled Uprooted. And one of the things you'll notice if you haven't been around Westgate long is that we do talk a lot about being rooted in Christ. It is a big part of our five-year vision as a church of growing in our rootedness in Christ. And it comes out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, where it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. What Paul does is he uses a, a common word picture of horticulture to draw a picture of a tree that is deeply rooted in the soil, receiving all of the nutrients and everything it needs for health and to thrive and for resiliency. And as we uh, were in our series, Deep Roots and Broad Reach, talking about growing deep roots in Christ, we used this picture of a tree. One of the ones that I showed you was uh, the tree in Maui, the banyan tree that uh, had, been, uh, had been growing there for years and years. It's a tree that grows very deep root systems. And during the fires that overtook Maui, it pretty much burned the entire thing to the point that they didn't believe uh, that it would survive. But as I shared with you a few weeks ago, I actually went and looked on the internet just yesterday thinking, oh, I'm going to take a look. There was a new article that shows this tree that went through such a ravaging fire has begun to sprout all sorts of new growth. And what they, from what they can tell from uh, sensors that they've put into the tree, the sap is flowing and it's going to continue to live uh, and not die. And it's incredible because I believe it is such a beautiful picture for us to think about how Paul uses this example of talking about how our rootedness in Christ is the very thing that gives us everything that we need for our own health, our growth in him, but also our resiliency amidst disaster. Now, at the same time that we've been talking about being rooted in Christ, we also have been acknowledging that in our own Christian walk that there are oftentimes things that need to be uprooted if we are going to grow deeper in him. And over the last weeks, we've talked together about uprooting spiritual apathy. We've talked about uprooting idolatry. Uh, uprooting our trust in human saviors. Last week, we talked about uprooting greed from our lives. And this morning, we're going to continue uh, to talk about uprooting uh, another thing from our life. But one of the things I want you to recognize is that with all of these on the surface, we might see the presence of some of these things. They may seem small and insignificant in our lives, but one of the things we don't recognize is that when they are left alone and given opportunity to grow, they become Satan 
Satan's instrument to destroy our relationship with God. And that's why it's important to uproot these things from our hearts and from our lives. Today, specifically, I want to talk about an area that I believe Satan has often gotten grip in many of our hearts as Christians and used it in order to draw us further away from the Lord, but also to break apart our relationships with others. And that is called uprooting unforgiveness. Now, uh, a number of years ago when I was, uh, uh, Rochelle's mom was coming into town, uh, I jumped in the car late one night. I hadn't been paying attention to the clock and uh, was leaving late to pick her up at the airport up in Detroit. So I jumped in the car and began to go. And one of the things that I didn't realize as I checked the uh, airplane app is that, you know, that she must have caught that jet stream coming from the West Coast because she was going to come in about a half hour early. So not only was I late, but she was coming in early. I was in a panic. So I decided to pick up the speed just a little bit, press on that gas pedal, begin to motor down 23 because at nighttime there are never police out on 23, right? Especially in Michigan. You can just fly right through. Uh, well, I had no, no more than crossed the border and I see the lights in my back mirror and I start thinking to myself, oh no. So I pull over to the side of the road and the officer walks up and he asks me that all important question. Do you know how fast you're going? I'm like, come on, you know, right? And, but then he also says, and do you realize that your tags are expired? And I'm like, oh, we had just bought this car. And uh, moving from California, they send you your stuff in the mail. And, and I didn't realize I was supposed to go and pick it up. And like, so there was this whole thing. And I, I start freaking out because not only does he tell me my tags are expired, but he said, I just want you to know that is a misdemeanor in Michigan. I'm going to have to impound your car and take you in. And I'm like, oh, my mother-in-law is going to kill me. Right? And so... Uh, as, I'm, as I'm wrestling with this, I begin to blather all over myself and uh, give him every excuse. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, but I didn't understand how the system works and blah, blah, blah. And then I said the only thing that's reasonable that came to mind, uh, I promise I'm not lying to you, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I played the pastor card. I tried really hard, okay? And he just gave me this look like, did you just say that? Um, uh, you know, and so he, he goes back, takes my license and insurance and definitely not my registration and goes back uh, to his cruiser and then comes back a few minutes later and he kind of hands me my stuff and he begins to explain the process and then he, uh, of how I need to get the registration. And then he, uh, he also said, I want you to go straight to the airport. I want you to get your mother-in-law, go straight home and do not drive that car again until you, uh, you get your registration. I said, I promise officer. And he said, all right, thank you. Have a nice day. I'll see you later. And I looked at him like, are you kidding me? And the only words that could come out of my mouth were, but officer, I deserve the speeding ticket. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I think you should leave now. <laughs> so I, that was a pretty clear cue. So I jumped, I, I, I took off at the speed limit and, and drove, picked up my mother-in-law and uh, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever told her this story if she's watching this morning, hi. Um, but uh, you know, the interesting thing about this is, is that, have you ever noticed that there's nothing better than being forgiven of a debt? There's no, no better feeling than being forgiven of something, that, that a debt that you owe uh, uh, like that. But here's the deal. One area every human being that walks this earth struggles with is extending that same type of forgiveness to other people. It was C.S. Lewis who once said that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. 
And the truth is, is that even for Jesus' disciples, the same held true. Forgiveness is so difficult to extend to others and yet so easy to receive. Because of this, we're going to take a look at a passage this morning where Peter specifically wrestles with the issue of forgiveness. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. We'll be beginning in verse 21. If you don't have your Bible or an app, you can see the verses on the screen this morning. But for Jesus' disciples, the same definitely held true. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about how they are to handle conflict within the community and sin uh, that other people may have. And he addresses this issue of how you approach people and also forgiveness. And Peter comes to him, and in verse 21, he asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And I want you to think about this. What Peter is really asking is this. You can fill it in in your notes. Does forgiveness have a limit? Is there a limit? Is there a point at which somebody has offended me so much or so many times that forgiveness is no longer necessary? Now, when Peter asks this, it seems like, come on, Peter, don't you know Jesus? Like, this is kind of a strange question to ask. But I want you to dive into this with me for just a minute. Peter was responding based on what was actually taught within Judaism. Letter A in your notes, you'll see that rabbis actually taught that there was a limit of three three times that you would need to forgive someone. They took a repeated statement that was in the Old Testament, something repeated by God uh, against neighboring enemies of Israel, and they turned it into a universal rule for limiting God's forgiveness. And they reasoned that if God only forgave three times in this scenario, then it's unnecessary for us to forgive more than that. There was a a famous rabbi that was quoted saying these words. He said, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. If a man commits, commits an offense once, forgive him. If he commits it twice, forgive him. If he commits it a third time, forgive him. But if he commits the offense a fourth time, do not forgive him. And that was the way that they lived and believed. So as Peter is hearing Jesus' teaching, this is the context with which he approaches this question with Jesus. And what we need to see here is this, is that letter B, hearing Jesus' teaching, what Peter seeks to do is actually impress Jesus while still imposing a limit on forgiveness. You see, Peter has been picking up on what Jesus has been laying down. He recognizes that Jesus is different from the religious leaders. He's got a lot of compassion, a lot of mercy, and a lot of grace that the religious leaders didn't show. He's also witnessed and watched how Jesus would rail against the Pharisees for their lack of grace and for their self-centered legalism. And it seems that as Peter asks this question that maybe somewhere in the back of his mind, he's thinking that he's going to impress Jesus. I see your three times of forgiveness and I'm going to raise you four. Whoa. He more than doubles the teaching of the rabbis when he asks this question. But here's the problem. Peter doesn't realize that Jesus is set to go all in. The problem is that Peter is still imposing a limit to forgiveness. I want you to think about this this morning. Why do we choose not to forgive? 
What is it inside of us that when we are hurt or offended by another person that we choose not to forgive? I actually am going to let you talk in church this morning, and I want you to take a moment, not that you guys don't do that all the time, but what I would love for you to do is turn to somebody next to you, or maybe if you're like, I don't want to talk this morning, maybe just jot some notes on the notes that I gave you. But I want you to answer that question. Share with your neighbor what you think. Why is it that we often will choose not to forgive? Ready, set, All right. So why is it that we choose at times to not forgive? What are some of the reasons? Maybe just shout out one or two things. Why is it that we choose not to forgive? Pride. Pride? What else? Selfishness. Selfishness. What else? Okay. What? Hurt too deeply. It's not fair. I love that. We don't want to get hurt again. We don't know how to forgive. You know what's interesting is I think about this, about why it is that we choose not to forgive. I sat down and wrote out this incredibly long list, and I find that often most things and most reasons can be boiled down under two specific areas. And the first one is this in your notes. One is that we choose not to forgive because of our strong desire for justice. Innately within each person that walks this planet, whether we admit it or not, we have a strong desire for justice, which is a desire for revenge that innately lives inside of each of us. Now, if you don't agree with me, if you think it's not true, I want to give you a quick scenario. I'm going to give you a scenario, and when I explain it to you, I want you to picture yourself in it, and then tell me how you would respond to this scenario quickly. Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What would you do in this situation? You're driving down the highway, and as you're driving down the highway, you are obeying the speed limit. It. But the person flying up behind you that you see in your rear mirror is not. And they are coming up quickly on your bumper. And right before they're going to hit you, they swerve around. Anybody been in this scenario before? They swerve around you. And then they swerve back and they keep on going. What are you thinking in that moment? Right? Oh, there are a million different things, right? <laughs> right? I'm telling you. Now, I know what some of your reaction is, but I'm not allowed to use that kind of language in church. So, uh, how many of you would have the thought cross your mind, I'm going to hit the gas and I will show them? Like you think I'm going to get back into this. Be honest, there were like three people that honestly raised their hand for a service. I was pumped about that. Because when I was younger, my thought was I'm going to catch them and I'm going to cut them off as well. But the more often one, how many of you would sit there and think to yourself, I really hope that I see them further down the highway with a police officer having pulled them over, right? Oh yeah, retribution at its finest, 
right? I remember using this example one time in a church and, and sharing it. And this lady comes up to me after the service and is like, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob, I have to confess, like, I would want the police officer, I would want to see the police officer pull them over, but not because of getting back at them, but because I would really hope that they, that would happen so that other people would be saved. And I thought to myself, you are just the kindest, sweetest person. Like the Holy Spirit is like full in your life. But then I looked at her and I said, but you're telling me if you saw a police officer pulling them over and they were handcuffed being walked to the cruiser, it wouldn't even feel just a little good. And she looks at me and she goes, well, maybe just a little, (laughs) right? Because inside of each of us, there is this strong desire that lives for justice when wrongdoing has been done. There's a group of Swiss researchers who wanted to know what happens in the brain of people who have just been wronged. And so they gathered a group of individuals, put them in pairs, and in the lab, as they hooked them up for brain scans, had them play games against their partner. And inevitably, one of the partners was chosen to cheat in the game, and the cheating would cause them to win. And for the person who had been cheated, what researchers noticed is that the individual who had been wronged had a rush of neural activity in what is called the caudate nucleus. That is the place in the brain that is known to process reward. In other words, as the person became angry and where they began also to experience pleasure as they thought about how they might get revenge or get back at them. And what the study found was that revenge in the moment often feels quite rewarding. It's one of the reasons that we don't forgive because of the strong desire for revenge. And if we forgive, we think to ourselves that there has been no justice done. But a second reason that I believe is true is also was mentioned is our pride. Our pride. There's nothing worse than the feeling that someone has gotten the best of us. And to be honest, we hate the idea that other people might see it and actually know it. It's embarrassing when someone has wounded us. And if we're honest, there's shame that wounds our ego. We seek then to gain the upper hand in order to restore our wounded pride. And we seek things like revenge or the silent treatment or canceling somebody or gossip or slander. Because all of these things are meant to do what? To restore our sense of personal pride. As Peter asked Jesus this question about how many times he should forgive, I can't help but wonder who the person was in his life that hurt him. There's no doubt that somewhere in the back of Peter's mind as he asked this question, he has a situation that is playing over and over. I believe his question was legitimate because it was coming from a place of wounding. And it causes me to think, was it a current or past wound from a family member, a friend, or one of the other disciples that had hurt him a few times? Was it a fellow Jew in the marketplace? Was it Matthew, the tax collector who had been brought into the group? Was it the religious leaders? Was it Rome? Here's maybe the more important question. Who's the person in your life? Who's the person in your life that you are having a hard time forgiving? A parent, a sibling, a spouse, an ex-spouse, your kids, a past friend or a trusted confidant that broke trust, 
maybe a coworker or a boss or even a stranger. And as you think of that person, no doubt there are emotions that will easily flood your heart and your mind because there was real hurt and maybe even loss that occurred or a sense of betrayal. And the truth is, is that you, like many of us in this room, have been holding on to that unforgiveness for a long time. They crossed your red line of where forgiveness seemed appropriate. We all have that person or have had that person in our lives. And the question that we wrestle with like Peter is, when am I justified to not forgive an individual? Is it how many times they have offended me or does it have to do with how great of the offense will justify my unforgiveness? And it's in the middle of this that Jesus speaks, not just to Peter, but he speaks to us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, in some translations of the Bible, the Greek here for 77 is really difficult. That's why you'll see it translated as 77 in some places or 70 times seven in others. What's important though to catch is that what happens is that Jesus actually very abruptly dismisses Peter's overture. He rejects the idea of seven times, but Instead, says this 77 or 70 times 7, whatever, uh, whatever it is doesn't matter because Jesus is not counseling Peter in arithmetic. In other words, he's not saying on the 78th time or the 491st offense, Peter, it's okay to, to not forgive somebody. What this was was Jesus' way of saying that forgiveness is to be unlimited. In your notes, Jesus says forgiveness is not about conditions. It is not conditional. For Jesus' followers, forgiveness isn't an option among many responses, but it is a way of life, a way of life that he has modeled for us. And to illustrate his point, what Jesus is going to do is to tell a parable to Peter and all those who are listening. And what he does in this parable is that he raises the stakes He raises the stakes by focusing not on petty numbers of times that you got to forgive, but actually going to the heart of the problem that really is the crux of what is difficult for us in forgiving someone. It's the overwhelming gravity of the offense that we have felt from another person that has wounded us. And so if you have your Bibles, look with me as Jesus tells this parable to, to, to prove a point. Matthew 18, verses 23 through 27, Jesus continues and says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now at the very beginning of this parable, the first half, I want you to see a couple of important things. Letter A is this, is that there was a man, it says, with an insurmountable debt. 
It begins by talking about a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And apparently this servant that was brought before him owed him what was considered to be 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 is the largest numerical term in the, in the Greek language. And it was used figuratively to represent an uncountable number. The number uh, that is used here of 10,000 talents, the debt that this man owed, if you were to even attempt to try to understand and figure out what that would add up to, was larger than 11 years worth of taxes from the four largest Roman provinces in the area. The whole point is this, is that the servant would never be able to repay the debt that he owed. But letter B, not only was that debt so insurmountable, this put the man in a very desperate situation, a desperate situation. And I would ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you had a debt that was creating issues and pressure in your own life? I've told you before, when Rochelle and I moved from California, we had a home that we had bought there, and because of the market crash, it had lost $200,000 in value. It was upside down by about $200,000. And when we moved to Ohio, we tried to keep it, but we began to come to the point where we recognized that we would not be able to pay that debt. And there was a lot of fear. We're going to lose our home. We're not only going to lose our home, we're going to lose our credit rating. We're fearful that we might have to pay back the $200,000, which we did not have. And there was all of this pressure that sat on our shoulders. Now, luckily for us, in that situation, California at the time had a proposition that if a bank agreed to a short sale, you wouldn't have to pay it back. We were able to work that through. But I can remember the fear and the pressure that I felt. But even in that, or you think about the pressure you have felt in a debt situation, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the situation that Jesus uses within this parable. You see, for this man who has this debt that would never be payable in his lifetime, what we see is that the master is going to cause him to lose everything because of this. It says that he will lose all of his assets, that he will be sold literally as a slave, that his wife will be sold as a slave, that his kids will be sold as a slave. Literally, he will lose everything. And all of this would not even come close to paying for the debt that he owed. In other words, this situation he finds himself in was a complete disaster. There was no chance in his lifetime that he would ever be free again. And then the servant pleads desperately with the master, have, have mercy on me. Just give me more time and I will pay back the debt. An interesting thing to say considering how large it was, but the passage tells us that the master had pity on him. Now, in the Greek, the word that is used here that is rendered pity, you see pity often has a negative connotation to us, but really the connotation of this word is that of compassion. The master had compassion on him. In other words, when he saw the position that he was in, his heart was filled to the point of wanting to do something to rescue this man and to rescue his family. And it says what? Let her see out of compassion, the master did the unthinkable. Number one, he released this man from his bondage. He released him from his bondage. It was a physical bondage to prison and to slavery, and it would no longer hang over his head. But number two, he also forgave the debt completely with no intention of ever picking it back up where the servant had pleaded for more time erroneously, the master decides to erase the debt without condition. 
And what has taken place here as Jesus tells this parable is that he is helping Peter and us to understand the forgiveness that we show to others must be unconditional. But unbeknownst to Peter, Jesus has also just painted the most incredibly vibrant picture of the gospel. Peter still to this point does not realize that the parable is showing us God's heart towards us. You see, in the parable, the debt that is used here is truly a picture of our sin. God's word tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That our sin is a debt that is so big because we have rebelled against a holy God. It is a debt that we could never repay. There is nothing that we can do in this life to earn favor for ourselves with God because of our sin. It is unpayable. And that puts us in a precarious situation because the Bible says not only that all have sinned, but it also says that the wages of sin is death. We lose everything, physical death, spiritual death, and separation from God. It's a precarious situation that we find ourselves in. And yet, as the parable continues, we begin to see that just like this man, as we find ourselves in this precarious situation, desperate, out of compassion... God, in his love for us, looking upon our hopeless situation, sent his son Jesus into the world to pay the price for our sin, to literally pay our debt that we owed so that if we would put our faith in him, we could be restored in a right relationship with God, being released from the bondage to our sin that we walk this life with and also being forgiven of our sin without any condition. God is good, amen? This picture that Jesus paints is not just a picture for us of how we should forgive people. It is a picture of how Jesus has forgiven us, that he has looked upon our hopeless estate. And rather than saying, you owe me, he forgives us without condition and invites us in to be his children. He showers us with love and grace and mercy and what this should accomplish is that it changes and transforms our heart and causes us to love God with all that we are. And I would ask you this question. Is your love for God commensurate with the forgiveness that you have received from him? Is your love for God commensurate with the forgiveness that you have received from him? Do you feel that love that says, I want to honor Christ with my life because of everything that he has poured out for me? Because the truth is this. Forgiveness, specifically our forgiveness of other people, is the natural outflow of love in response to how Christ has loved and forgiven us. You see, what Christ has done, just like in this story, is supposed to affect the way that we love and forgive others. But here's the great danger, is that we will take the love and forgiveness of God for granted. And what he has done and Jesus shows how this comes to fruition in so many people's lives as he continues the parable. Pick it up with me in, in verse 28. 
It says, when that same servant went out after having been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began choking him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. But when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father, Jesus says, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What I want you to see in this passage, letter A, is that the forgiven man took for granted the grace that had been shown to him. The debt that he owed was unpayable and it was completely forgiven. But then he immediately goes out and finds somebody that owed him 100 denarii, a very, very, very tiny amount compared to what he owed. And he has this man thrown in prison because he couldn't pay him immediately, showing that he had learned nothing from the grace that had been shown to him. And letter B, what it shows is this, is that his actions actually showed where his allegiance lay with himself. And the consequences brought him to life-ending ruin. The passage tells us that because of this decision, he lost everything. And his master says, said that he would be imprisoned until what? He should pay all of his debt. Don't read past that too quickly. Because remember what all means. All was a debt that he could never pay in his lifetime. Think about that. Let that sit on you for just a minute. That he is told that he would have to pay it all. His bondage would never end. And I want you to catch this this morning as we think about this. Because the truth is, is that unforgiveness leaves all of us in bondage. Swiss researchers who I talked about a little bit earlier in the service who found revenge to be rewarding, they didn't stop with that study, but they also wanted to understand, does revenge also keep rewarding? And, you know, we often think that revenge is some form of emotional release and it's going to help us feel better. Maybe we'll see it as a way of gaining closure. Yet the truth is, and they found that instead of quenching hostility, it actually only prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. Instead of actually delivering justice, revenge only creates a cycle of retaliation. And when we refuse to forgive others, we find ourselves bound, not freed, but bound in chains of anxiety and anger and bitterness that take root in our heart towards others. And rather than relieving the pain that we feel, it actually only deepens and replaces and plants a root of bitterness and anger in our hearts that becomes harder and harder to uproot over time. You've experienced this, and I know that you know this is true. I've experienced this. And in this way, unforgiveness is Satan's ploy to bring separation between us and others. But even more importantly, it is his ploy to bring separation between you and God. Because he knows that if he can get you to take for granted the grace that God has shown to you, and then you won't show it to other people, 
it will bring a separation because your heart is not the heart of God. Jesus' final warnings in this passage, final words actually bring a harsh warning. He says, those who love me will forgive as I have forgiven them because of their love for me. But woe to those who show contempt for his grace by not sharing it with others. Therefore, what does he say? Forgive your brother from the heart. As we sit here this morning with that person that the Holy Spirit has put in the back of our own heads, thinking about the situation, feeling the emotions and the wrestle between the offense that has taken place. I want to give you a picture from Jesus of how without condition we can forgive from the heart. Jesus' instruction to us is without condition to forgive from the heart. And so how do we do that? Few things. Letter A. I believe the first and most important step to forgiveness is actually acknowledging the real hurt that you have experienced. One of the reasons that I believe we struggle so much with forgiving people is because we think if I do, somehow I'm saying that this situation didn't hurt or it's not quite as bad as it really was. And so we think to ourselves that there is, there is some lack of justice in that. But the truth is, I think it's important for us to sit and actually acknowledge how real the hurt and the pain is that has been caused to us by another person. And letter B, I think while we do that, it's also important to face the bitterness and the hate that is developing within our hearts, no matter how great or how small. Because that small seed, if allowed to grow, and if Satan can get his foothold in our lives, he will cause it to take more and more ground as bitterness takes root. And when it does, it doesn't just affect our relationship with that individual, but it will, reflect, it will affect every other relationship in our lives. We should acknowledge the real hurt and face the bitterness and hate and acknowledge it developing in our hearts but I wanna give you just one more thing. I know that there are three more points. Cross the other two off. Those of you that are faithful note fillers are gonna hate me for this. But as I sat, as I sat finishing this message and I had all these notes written out, to be honest, the last two don't even matter if you don't get this third one. It literally will not matter. The most important thing that you can do is acknowledge your hurt, face the bitterness, but number letter C, sit with the tension of how Christ has forgiven you. Feel the tension when you sit and think about what has been done to you and the tension of what you have done to Christ and how he has forgiven you with zero conditions. And allow yourself to feel that tension and to wrestle with God when you recognize that his call on your life is to share his love and forgiveness no matter what. You know what that means? No conditions. The person that hurts you may never admit it. They may not think that they've done anything wrong. They may never ask for forgiveness that cannot and should not limit your ability to forgive and to allow Christ to do a work in your heart. 
because your forgiveness is not based on anything else other than how Christ has forgiven you and loved you and shown you the depth of his love. The Lord did his greatest work in my life. There are one of two stories in my life that I share with people where I believe that God really grabbed me and shook me in, in brief, because I've shared part of this with you before. Probably one of the most altering things in my relationship with Christ. I grew up in the church. I grew up knowing what I should do, all the rules and loving God and, and whatnot. But I, I struggled with forgiveness. I even struggled with forgiving myself. And when I was in high school, uh, I was a junior in high school, my sister had gotten pregnant. And for people growing up in the church, she wasn't married. Obviously, that was a bad thing. There was a lot of shame that, that people in the church would feel. And a lot of things that my, even my family struggled with. And uh, you know what's crazy is I got to share this story with my dad uh, just a couple of years ago when I moved him to Texas. We took this long drive from California to Texas. It was the first time... I ever actually told him how impactful this moment was in my life, but God used it to change me. But I remember the night where Christine was going to tell my dad that she was pregnant and there was all the fear of, is he gonna kick her out of the house? Is he just gonna go off in anger, the shame, whatever is gonna happen in our family? And as he's crossing through the room and she looks up, she says, dad, and he stops and he looks at her and she said, I've made some mistakes and I'm pregnant. It was like time stopped and it was quiet. There's that feeling of what's about to happen. And my dad just quietly walked over and sat down next to my sister and he put his arms around her and he looked at her and he said, I love you and we're going to get through this together. And I want you to know, I ran out of the house and into the backyard and I remember down back behind our garage just falling to the ground and weeping and crying, but it wasn't because of the pain in our family. I just kept saying over and over and over again, God, I get it. I understand. I understand how you love me. That though I have sinned against you and though I have done so much that is wrong, it doesn't matter what I have done. You love me and you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I get it. And I want you to get it this morning. I want you to sit in that place of tension this morning where you understand the depth of what Christ has done for you because when you understand that, it will transform the way that you respond to other people. You can't help but show that type of love and grace to another person when you have allowed yourself to fully experience what Christ has done for you. And so that is my prayer this morning. Forget those other two points sit in the tension and allow God to do his greatest work in your heart. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the time in your word this morning. And I acknowledge to you, Lord, that myself, and I know many people in this room, that we may have experience in this area of forgiveness, Lord, it is something that we continually wrestle with and we struggle with. But God, you have modeled for us and shown us just how much you love us. And that, Father, there is nothing that we could do that would be so offensive that, Lord, you would not forgive us if we reach out and we ask God for you to forgive. And, Lord, I pray 
that this morning, that we'd be overwhelmed by the depth of your love for us and that it would change and transform our hearts so that we can extend that same type of grace to the people in our lives that have wounded us. I would just ask you as as your eyes are closed and we're still praying together, one of the things I wanna acknowledge this morning is that I know that there are probably people here that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. And one one of the things that you have needed to hear is that there is a God that loves you so much that he would give his life for you, that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how many things that you've done that you think, oh, it's too bad, God would never accept me. God's word says that you could never pay the price for your sin, no matter how hard you tried for a lifetime or eternity, but he paid it for you by sending his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could have a relationship with God and live with him forever. And I want you this morning, if God has been moving in your heart, to have the opportunity to say, Jesus, today I commit my life to you. If you want to make that commitment, I would just ask you to quietly in your own heart pray this prayer with me. Father, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. I confess that there is nothing that I can do in my own strength to make things right. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay my debt so that I could be right with you. Thank you, God, for loving me that much. And because of your love, today I commit my heart and my life to you. I ask you, God, to come into my life and I want to live with you and for you forever. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to understand there's nothing magical about that prayer. It is simply a prayer of commitment of saying, God, I hear you, I see you, I know that you've forgiven me, I believe in you and I want to follow you. And God's word tells us that if you prayed that prayer that you will receive the gift of salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. I just wanna ask if there's anybody here this morning that prayed that prayer, I wanna pray for you. I would love the opportunity to talk to you if you'd want to come talk to me. But if there's anybody here while heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, anybody that prayed that prayer, would you just quietly raise your hand so that I could be praying for you this week and this morning? Yes, thank you, Lord. I would also be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that I know that there are people in this room this morning that are wounded by past hurts that are struggling with forgiveness. And before we close with one last song of worship, I wanna pray over you as well, but I would ask you this question. Have you got that person that God has put in the back of your mind that you've been struggling to forgive? And you know this morning that God is speaking to you and wanting you to yield this area of your life to him? If so, Would you make a declaration this morning that says, God, I hear you, and I'm going to take steps with you this morning to get this right? Would you just raise your hand quickly and say, God, I hear you. I commit to you. Hands everywhere. It's beautiful. God, I hear you. Let me pray over you. Father, I just thank you for each of these individuals that are struggling with forgiving another person. And and Lord, I pray that you would do an incredible work in their life, that this morning as they come to touch with your word and as they reflect, God, on just how much you love them and how much you have forgiven them, would you help move them along in the process of yielding their hearts to you 
and moving to that place of forgiving others, freeing themselves from the bondage of the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that they have been wrestling with and truly free them to be free in Christ. And so we give this to you this morning, God, and pray that you would do a new work inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?
invite you if, if you'd like prayer this morning, somebody to talk to you about things that you've been wrestling with in this area in your heart. Our prayer team would love that opportunity. I know Bob and Jerry Darman are here this morning, would love that opportunity to pray with you uh, if you have other prayer needs as well. So please, uh, at the close of our service, come forward. But I would also be remiss if I didn't remind us that tonight we have something really awesome that's taking place. This room is going to be filled with about 200 uh, plus international students and scholars uh, from our community. And for many of them, it will be one of the first times that they have the opportunity to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to close our service this morning praying over tonight. And we've got hundreds of people, many that are already and have been working all around the building this morning preparing. Uh, we want to pray over the hosts that are going to be at tables and just pray that they, people that come, would hear the gospel clearly and that they would respond to God's call in their life. And so would you join me in prayer? And at the close of the service, we need help still to set up today. So if you have a few minutes to hang around and help, head over to the atrium and find Julianne and her team, and they would love more hands to help transform the building for tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you, God, for how you've shown it over and over and over again. And Lord, tonight we're gonna see over 200 people in this room that come from nations all around the world, many where they don't have access to the gospel. And so God, we ask that the gospel message, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, would be proclaimed clearly this evening and that you would work in the hearts of each individual that is here. We pray, Father, for those that are serving and that are working, God, that you also would be moving in them as they develop relationships that, Father, their lives as well would tell the story of your son, Jesus Christ, and that, Father, you would do amazing and great things in our midst. As well, we recognize, God, all around the world, every single day, there are people that are hurting and suffering and that need you. Would you put in our hearts a passion to taking them the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of your name? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week serving the Lord.